forgive me. I thought I had gotten over the cold, and my wife decided she wanted to get it again. I can blame her now that she's out of the room. And she decided she wanted to give it to me back. So sharing is caring. That's what I've been told. Romans 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's righteous, or excuse me, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What is the worst thing that we, the church, can be accused of? Uh, what are some of the things I should maybe say that the, the world accuses the church of being? They're so judgmental. I go to church and the people are there are so rude. The biggest one I think that we hear is, why well, go to church? It's full of those hypocrites. They're so full of hypocrites. I think this is probably the biggest of them all. Uh, hypocrite being someone who says one thing but does another. And they say, you the church, you speak of love, but you don't show love. You're telling me how to live, but you don't live the same way yourself. Now, their natural response to this is saying they're too judgmental. Don't judge, lest you be judged. That's what they like to tell us, right? And the, the point here is not that judging is wrong. There are times where we are to make judgments. In fact, uh, we are told that we will judge this world with Jesus. It's not that we, the church, aren't to make judgments. That's not what it is. But their reasoning is not completely unsound. If you go to churches, where do you find people who say one thing and do another? By definition, hypocrites. And yet we know it's because we're sinners. We're not going to be perfect. But there's a real question that we have to ask ourselves. The church in general has to ask itself, are you standing in judgment and not realizing that you are all the while in danger? Are we being puffed up and arrogant in our position as the church? This is the question that Paul is going to ask today. Last week in verse chapter 1, verses 18 through 31 or 32, whatever it was, we saw that Paul was calling out the Gentiles. You who see God in nature and yet reject him. But now Paul is going to continue in his accusation. It's unclear from this text, if we just stop at verse 5, who is Paul talking to? Those who judge. 
If we were to continue on, which we will in the coming weeks down to verse 17, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will, so on and so forth, he specifically calls out these as the Jewish people. Paul is going to accuse them of something. He's going to accuse them of committing sin. And in their committing of sin, Paul is going to tell them, you are not exempt from the judgment and the wrath of God. You have turned away. You have been given the word of God and you've disobeyed. And therefore, God will judge you. Paul's going to spend the majority, if not all of chapter 2, working this out. He's going to critique them. He's going to tell them you are earning for yourself the same wrath as the Gentiles. Having the law does not change this. Even the Gentiles, in a sense, have the law. What did it say? The law of God is written where? It's written on your hearts. They know. But these who had the law, instead of obeying the law, stand in judgment of those who do not have the law. The Jews thought of themselves as better than the rest of the world because of their relationship with God. So as we come to this text, as we see Paul correct this, we're going to see three points. (coughs) I will say before I say it, I hate my first point, but I couldn't come with anything else. Uh, my, the, the, not my whole point, but the title for my point. My first point is the judgment of judges. The second is the presuming of kindness. And third is the storing of wrath. I liked my last two points and I felt like I had stuck myself into a theme. So there you go. First, let's begin by looking at the judgment of judges. Paul begins by saying, therefore, this is one of our transition words, therefore. And he's linking uh, what he's about to say, what he has already said. But what is he linking to? What is he using this therefore for, as it were? Well, in one sense, he could be pointing back to the Gentiles. Therefore, you Gentile sinners. And be going on, and he could be talking about them. (coughs) But I think we've already seen that this is not the case. He's not pointing back to the sinners, the Gentile sinners. He's... Uh, pointing, he's about to talk about the Jews. And so, in fact, he's pointing back to the wrath of God. He's saying, because the wrath of God is kindled against the unjust, therefore, the wrath of God is against all people. All people have been given knowledge, and therefore all people are guilty, even those who have received the very word of God. He's going to bring a word of judgment on those who are guilty of judging others. On what basis are they judging others? The basis for their judgment is that we have the word of God. We know what the word of God is. We know what the law is. And we see you not following the law. And therefore, we're going to judge you based upon the law. John Calvin says it this way. This rebuke is directed at the hypocrites who draw attention by their displays of outward sanctity and even imagine that they have been accepted by God as though 
they had afforded him full satisfaction. In the very act of casting judgment, they have condemned themselves. They know the law, and yet they do the same thing. How is the nation of Israel doing this? They have the very word of God, right? We talked last week about how you, you can know God through nature, but you cannot have a saving knowledge through nature. You need something more. And they have that something more. They have the law. They have the word of God. They have the means to salvation. And yet they've taken it and they've placed it on a pedestal. They've made an idol of it. And because they have done this, because they've worshipped the law and not God, their hearts are no different than the Gentiles. They're guilty of all the things Paul talked about last week. You remember, as we finished up our passage last week, he says, you're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. You're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolence, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience of parents, and so on and so forth. He's saying you're guilty of doing all those things. You judge those around you. Because you know those things are wrong and yet you do them all the same. They saw how these sins applied to others, but they did not apply those sins to themselves. That's what they've done. Paul's not denying their relationship. Yes, they're in special relationship. They're the people of God. They have the law. But just because you have the word of God, it does not shield you from the wrath that is to come. God is only satisfied with perfection. God is only satisfied with perfection, nothing less. Jews, or people of God, whatever you want to call them here, you want to be accepted by God, then hold the Ten Commandments perfectly. Do every single one of them all the time. Now, before you become boastful and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good there, let's remember the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. You who have anger in your heart for your brother have murdered him. You who have lusted after another in your heart, it's the same as if you committed adultery. You have not done unto others as you would have them do unto you as it were. Paul is telling them, you have a just God. If you judge and yet you sin, you too will be judged. You will not escape the judgment that is to come. No one can claim exemption from judgment through law alone. And that is what they sought to do. If you try, if you rest in your self-righteousness, then you will be found guilty. Paul is telling them, you're not okay. You need Jesus. Now, 
There we are. That's all. That's good, right? Oh, those silly Jews. Look what they were doing. They had the law and they just piddled it away. Silly, 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 right? Well, let's move on. They who were favored among all others, those who had God's will revealed to them, thank goodness we're not like them, right? Thank goodness. But isn't it interesting that today, who are we? We are those, I look around, most laps or iPhones or iPods or whatever device you have, or I'm sure you have them at home. We are those who have the law of God given to us. You have Jesus Christ revealed to you at your fingertips. It's not just that you're out in the world and you see God revealed in nature. It's not just that. You have the words of life right before you. You have his law. But not only do you have his law, you have his grace revealed to you in scripture. You've been given the gospel. Is there anyone in this room who's never heard the name Jesus? Is there anyone in this room who has not heard about what Jesus has done? That he lived and he died on the cross? Whether you believe it or not, it's inconsequential. You know, you know you have this forgiveness. And yet we still do the same thing, don't we? We stand in the position of judges. We look at the world and we call them to account for their sins. As we do this, at times we give little grace. And all the while, we're sitting there doing the very things we're accusing the world of doing. The world looks at us and they go, you hypocrites. And they're right. They're right. But there's two Positions we get to take as hypocrites, or we, we get that we can. On the one hand, we can say, you're right. I am a sinner who is in need of the grace daily of Jesus Christ. And we, like Paul, we don't do the things we want to do, and we do the things we don't want to do. And we acknowledge our sinfulness and our failing. But there's another position people take. I have it all together and I'm going to look down my nose at you and tell you how you don't. This is what the Jews were doing here. (coughs) We do the same things and yet we give little grace. We are the sexually immoral in thought, word, and deed. We are those who steal. We are those who slander and lie. We are murderers. We are coveters. This is who we are on a daily basis. We are those who place idols in our hearts. We've taken the Lord's name in vain. We failed to keep his Sabbath holy. We have placed in his his place other gods. And we are guilty. 
Now, I've used some very strong language here. We are those. And this is certainly true. But I don't want to leave it there. Because the reality of the gospel is this. That we get to stand here and say, we are those who are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our true identity. And yet daily we fail, don't we? And the world looks at us and they see us and they go, why should I even care about what you're saying? And that's because in our sinfulness, sometimes we fail to show the grace of God. The grace that we need. And we begin to do what Paul says here and warns again against to presume upon the kindness of God. Verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? The Jews had done something. They had looked at these wonderful qualities and attributes of God. And they took them for granted. Isn't that why they went into exile? Isn't that why God was continually sending judges to them? Because they looked at the patience and the forbearance of God and they took it for granted. They had presumed upon the kindness of God. In essence, they had mistaken kindness for weakness. They showed contempt for his mercy. They claim a false security. This false security that started all the way back in the Old Testament for them. We are the people of God. He has called us out. We are part of his covenant family. Therefore, we're okay. And we're going to be okay. It's all good. Today it's the same as saying, I said a sinner's prayer. I'm all right. I got it down. Don't worry about me. Don't call my life to account. I'm okay. But Paul comes and says, no, you're no better off than the Gentile. You're no better off than those who see God in nature and reject him and then pervert his truth. This is a departure from all they knew. It changes how they understood the covenants. It shows that a new era in history has dawned. God shows his goodness and his patience and his forbearance on these people because he hopes to bring them to repentance, both Jew and Gentile. He says he's doing this because he longs to lead you into repentance. God is patient with his people, but his patience is not infinite. It is a mercy that Jesus Christ has not already returned. It is a mercy so that those who have not yet heard or come to faith may come to faith. But we cannot 
make the same mistake of presuming upon the kindness of God. He has given to us mercy. He has given to us his grace. And daily we take it for granted. Daily. There are some who will even go so far as to say, it doesn't matter what I do, God's grace will abound and cover it. And that's too far, isn't it? God's grace is wonderful and it's a great thing. But Paul says, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? And his response to that is, may it never be. Would we not continue in sin that grace may abound? Would we not presume on the kindness and goodness of God? God who has repeatedly shown his goodness to us through his creation, through his providence, through his giving and our receiving of the gospel. If we take it for granted, if we think we somehow have earned it or we think somehow that we deserve it, then we are in error. I remember in college, about halfway through college, coming to the realization that the most important thing I did in my faith on a daily basis was try to be right. Oh, you Baptist friend don't believe in infant baptism. Let me correct your error. Oh, you don't believe in covenant theology. Let me correct your error. Let me tell you the superiority of Calvin and the Westminster Confession of Faith. Let me elevate you to the grand levels that I have obtained. And I realized one day, or over time, I'm sure it didn't happen all in one day, that I was beating people up with my theology. That I was not showing them the grace of God. That I was puffed up in my faith and in my doctrine. And I think we all can do this in different ways. When we are puffed up in ourselves and we look down on others and we fail to rely on God and we presume upon his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. We have to be careful. It's not something we earned. It's not something we deserve. It's something that he has freely given to us. And there's a strong warning that he ends with here. If you presume upon the kindness of God, Verse 5, this is what will happen. Because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's judge, righteous judgment will be revealed. Yes, God is patient with sinners. But this does not mean he's weak. He is not weak. He will not withhold his judgment forever. He says, you have hardened your hearts. You've refused to see the truth. You are living as hypocrites. You're declaring judgment on one hand. And on, with the other, you're committing the very sins 
that you're judging for. And he says, in your judgment, you will receive judgment. The time for judgment is coming where you will stop presuming on the kindness of God and he will deliver you, not from, to mercy, but to wrath. This judgment that will take place when Jesus comes again, this outpouring of God's wrath at the end of history, if you fail in these things, you are storing up for yourself wrath upon that day. I love the imagery here of storing up. You think of any, any number of, we got to save our nickels and dimes. Let's store up our money. Let's preserve our money. Where I remember you growing up, you remember hearing the, the parable of the ants and the grasshoppers, right? And the ants, ants working, working, working. They're storing up for the winter and the grasshopper does nothing. And they're storing up. And he says, you're storing up here for yourself wrath. When you store up food for the winter, you're not eating that food right now, are you? You're putting it away. But there's a time that is coming where you will tap into that resource. And that resource he is talking about here is wrath. There's a danger in thinking that we are good enough in our faith. <laughs> there's a danger in thinking that we have it all together. And as we have it all together, we start going around saying, as one who has it all together, let me critique your life. I've got it figured out, so I would like to pass on my great knowledge to you and tell you how you too can be like me. There's a danger in this. We must have a faith that is true, that is right. So that we're not storing up for ourselves wrath. The reality is this. There's many in the visible church today who are not the true church. Who are in our midst and yet are not actually the people of God. They come and they hear. They learn but they do not grow. The truth of the gospel is not living in them. And there is a wrath that is coming there is no security in being a member of the visible church. Our faith must be one that is real, that is true. One that rests and relies on Jesus Christ alone. I very intentionally stopped at verse 5 today. Because where we stop is this. You're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we stop there. No, but. No, but you can still do this or if you do this. No, we're stopping there. Because I want the stark reality of what Paul is saying to rest upon you. Who are you? What is your identity? Do you call yourselves sons and daughters of the God most high? Is Jesus Christ your savior? Is this true for you? And if so, how is this being reflected in the way you live your life? 
Jewish people in Paul's day thought they had it all together. We get to call upon Yahweh, the God who called us out and said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. He gave us our king. He gave us the law. He gave us Moses and Aaron. You've heard of David, right? David, he's one of us. We have the temple. We got it going on. But they really didn't. They had the very word of God and they failed in their understanding. And they did what Paul says here. They judged others. They thought they had it figured out when they really didn't. And they're far from God. They presumed upon his kindness. They presumed upon his mercy. They presumed upon his goodness. And they didn't come humbly before him. They didn't seek to grow in their faith and knowledge each and every day. They didn't love the law because it was revealing Jesus. They loved the law because it was their means of works. And they were storing up wrath every day for themselves. There is a time that is coming where Jesus will return in judgment. If we are not part of him, we will most certainly be cast out. There is a call here to respond in humble reliance upon Jesus Christ. To not be puffed up and arrogant in our faith. To not assume that we have everything figured out and that this world is just a bunch of crazy, sick, deranged individuals who do all these heinous and gross things. Because we have to understand that we are those heinous and gross people as well. Apart from Jesus Christ. And even with Jesus Christ, we still are marred by that image. Daily, daily we presume upon his grace. But would we hear Paul's words today? Would we come before the cross of Jesus Christ? Would we rely not on our own knowledge and understanding, but would we rely fully and wholly and completely on what he has done for us? Would we trust and rest in him? Would we be those who reflect the goodness of Jesus Christ to a world who is in need of that goodness? Would we in honesty and sincerity come and say, we don't have it figured out. Daily we struggle, daily we fall. But thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ who has reconciled me from sin and from death. Brothers and sisters, that is our daily cry. We are not sufficient. If we try to be sufficient in ourselves, we only have wrath. That is all that is in store for us. 
There is none who are righteous, not one, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Would we rest and trust in him? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Son. We are so thankful what he has done for us. Lord, would our response be humble reliance? Would it to be go from this place, go from this place and declare the good news of the gospel? Would we indeed, even as we are about to sing, go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born, that he has suffered and died, that he has reconciled us to our God. Work this in us, we pray in his most holy name. Amen.